2 Peter 3. So if you're a person who wants to be ready for all that, uh, giving you a heads up about it. And just so you know, Jude is a tiny book that you could easily miss. If you get to Revelation, you went too far. And then 2 Peter is only a few pages back toward the front of the Bible from the book of Jude, just to get your bearings on that. So welcome everyone here and welcome to those uh, listening in online. Thank you for that. Let's pray. Lord, you are our help from ages past. And one of these passages reminds us that time to you is very different from time to us. And that's a theme today. Thank you for the music team picking out that last song, actually, and Drew working on that perfectly. Place to uh, comfort my trembling heart. It trembles because I'm afraid to mess up. I'm afraid to say what shouldn't be said. And I'm afraid to leave unsaid what should be said. Lord, we think in this moment about the fact that our senior pastor has been gone for a few weeks now, and we pray for him and his family praying a prayer of thanks that he can have this time of recovery and strengthening and encouragement. And it appears to me that that has gone on. And thank you, Lord, that you have delivered in that way. But we do do anticipate him coming back so that people like me don't have to do this (laughs) And, uh, and look forward to his insights and his leading when he returns. Bless the Banks family today and each day ahead. Lord, we think also of other pastors in the area who are laboring to speak the truth to their congregation, and we pray for those within hearing of those words, that words that are true would be heard and responded to, and lives would change. And that word would not stay in the minds of the people listening, but the people listening would go out and be different and be soldiers for your heavenly kingdom. Unique soldiers who give hope to a world that is really chaotic right now and maybe is ripening for a great harvest. And so let it be that the songs already today the prayers in people's hearts, the scripture reading by Cheryl, all these things would be um, prodding our hearts to go ahead and, and faithfully walk in front of our families and in front of our neighbors and in front of our coworkers, in our interactions online, whatever it might be. We'd bring hope. And today, Lord, I pray that I would be clear and you would uh, make up the difference where I likely will fall short. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there are some people traveling today, so I want to acknowledge um, that. You know, sometimes people pass on to us elders, hey, I won't be here for this or that reason. And, and that's not nece- necessary, but it is nice to, to hear from people. So I am aware of, of some people traveling. And 
we do want good and, and blessed times for them as well. So looking at Jude, it was really nice how uh, Drew and Jeremy gave me this passage. You know, they got to pick the parts they wanted. Uh, not really. They, they did segment it well. But 14 to 19 is, uh, is pretty rough. So check this out with me. It says, it was also about these, and I emphasize these, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, they are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. All right, so those are the handful of verses that are before us today. Uh, in verse 18, time is mentioned. It says, in the last time. And I, I want us to talk about time for just a little bit here to start this message. And, um, and I guess I want to say this, that in, in, out there in the world, or amongst those who are ungodly, or in other words, those who are not believers, they're going to segment time in a way that is different from the way you and I would segment time. So, for example, they might use things like, this was the Stone Age, this was the Bronze Age, this is the Victorian era, okay, whatever they might use. But for you and me, as Bible-believing followers of Christ, the way we think about time is going to be different. See, you and I, even in, like, our preaching and our lessons and our conversations, we'd be talking about time as in, well, God intervened in this way in our time. That's how we divide up time as Christians, right? So for example, there was chaos, and then God said, let there be light, right? That's a way of thinking about that. God intervened, and then, you know, in the days of creation, literally, God created the sun and the moon to mark the days and the seasons and so forth, right? So, so God intervened and established time. God put people there, Adam and Eve, and, and so forth. And then if you think about the Bible storyline, there's these interventions that are the big markers, right? So the fall would be one, clearly. Um, another one would be God choosing the family of Abraham to be the, the family where he would display his kindness, his grace, his mercy. And then that family would be the one through which the Messiah would, become, would, would be born, so there's just, just some examples how we would mark time. But obviously, the most significant way you and I, believers, would mark time is when Jesus was born, right? Now, what's funny about that one is uh, such an obvious and amazing and, and glorious moment. What's funny about it is clearly you and I would use that to mark time, but even the ungodly use that to mark time, don't they? They sure do, right? So things that happened before Jesus was born, we count time going backward. Well, this happened in 500 BC, 500 years before 
Christ entered our world in flesh, right? We, that's the way it goes. So, but anyway, we as Christians, we, we think about the interventions of God as the uh, markers that really matter. And then, so what time are we in? Well, we're actually in the last time. We're actually right there. We're in the, the time that Jude is talking about. And what is that time? Well, that is the time that Jesus, um, he died, but didn't stay dead. He, there was an empty tomb, and he appeared to um, individuals and then groups, and then a big group, 500 at one time, and then ascended into the heavens and then left us alone, right? No, no, he didn't leave us alone. He left us with the gift of the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to guide us into truth, and then we who believe in him are shaped into people who are supposed to more and more and more resemble Jesus himself, right, as time goes on, being sanctified. We're in that time, the church age. The Holy Spirit is working, and that's the time that we're in. Now, what's tough about this time is that um, it's been so long that no one in this time, 2020, can say, well, I, I've got this cousin who knew a guy who actually heard a message that Jesus preached in person, right? But the people in the first century, and maybe even into the early second century, would have, you, know, you would have known somebody, right, who could say, well, my grandfather was there when the Roman soldiers were talking about, you know, um, putting the nails into Jesus. Like, you, you could maybe experience that. So in a way, we're at a disadvantage. But in another way, I want you to think about this. We had this wonderful advantage that, it's been more than 1,900 years in this last time, right? And yet, even though no one saw any of that or literally experienced that that we know of, people are still being changed by Jesus Christ. That 2,000 years later almost, it's shocking and it's wonderful. It's, it's a great way for us to think about, wow, the people in the first century, they didn't have 1,900 plus years of history to look at and conversions and the movement of this, you know, discipling and, and lives being changed for all this. So it's kind of neat that we get to live in this time. Now, that's, an, again, an odd way to say it because a lot of us might be feeling, why do I have to be stuck living in this time right now, right? <laughs> we might feel like that. And you know what? Probably a lot of generations felt that same way. They were living in the last time, too, ever since the Holy Spirit in, and uh, was put into our world to care for us, okay? So, um, he, another difficult thing about this last time is that we, we can look back in the Bible and see lots of the other times, but the next time hasn't happened yet. So that one's a little more hard to figure out and hard to, you know, understand it totally. Like, is it going to be today? Is Jesus coming back today? I mean, he might, right? Or is it going to be in 500 years? So again, it makes it a little bit tricky, right? It makes it a little bit tricky that we haven't experienced the judgment time. We're in the last time, but Jesus hasn't come back to judge uh, the ungodly just yet. So here's the point today, if I can run this. There we go. There's my message title. And then here's your, here's your big idea, Okay. I'm going to say it in, word, in a wordy way, and then I'll say it in a simple way like you see on the screen behind me. Here's the point. The enemies of God and the enemies of the followers of God only believe that there has been one time. I'll show you what I mean in a second. 
You and I who believe in Jesus believe that there have already been several different times and the next different time will be the one that all of us should either be worried about or really excited about. Let me simplify it down on the screen. There will be a time of judgment and that should affect how we live our lives. Okay, let me, let me show you what I mean by this. So in, in, in this passage that I read from Jude, it mentions Enoch. Technically, it mentions Enoch and a prophecy of Enoch. And if you were to look back into Genesis 5, you would not find this prophecy there. It's not there, okay? Uh, but what you will see is an interesting character who did not um, experience the same kinds of things that, um, that most human beings throughout time have had to experience. It says there, Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. He walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And then you will also see that he lived approximately half of the years of those men in his family line, like ahead of him and then after him. Some lived to be like 800, 900. He lived to be 365, and that's a little bit curious. It's a little bit curious, right? And it just made me speculate just a little bit that maybe, maybe he was exempt from judgment of all kinds, including even having to live so many years, which is an interesting way of thinking about it, right? He was exempt from having to live any further than that, and God just said, here you go. You're a faithful man. Let's go, all right? Now, Jude ends up mentioning a prophecy attributed to Enoch. Now, the, the book of Enoch is not part of the canon of Scripture, Yet Jude uses this statement in verses 14 and 15, uh, this talking about the Lord coming back with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment, and it uses the word ungodly several times in there, okay? So, so the Lord is coming back to execute judgment on the ungodly for their ungodly words and ungodly actions, all right? And Jude is, is, seems to be using this statement uh, attributed to Enoch to support this hopeful idea. Now you might say, how in the world is an executing of judgment any kind of hope? How is that hopeful? Well, when we think about the people that Jeremy and Drew talked to us about the last two weeks, the ones that are the these in Jude 4 and 8 and 12 through 13, uh, these are people who, let me just recap a little bit here, they, they, have, they have crept in, crept into the church, and they're causing all kinds of problems. It's these people who we don't have to worry about, like, hey, is it gonna, like, are they going to get away with all this? Is this going to work out good for them in the end? Or, like, they're really, like, bothering us a lot here. No, they're not going to get away with this, right? If they don't change their ways, if they don't embrace the Savior, they're going to have this judgment coming their way. Whether they think so or not, it's going to happen. So that gives us hope, who are the faithful ones, the followers of Christ, who might be feeling frustrated about these behaviors and, and concerned about the power of people like this. All right? So this, this um, book of Enoch is not, like the rest of the book of Enoch, uh, I'll just say this, it's not, a, it's not a reliable source. It really isn't, Okay. It's not in the canon of Scripture. Uh, there are some things in there that, that um, 
the ancients who put the canon of Scripture together said, no, this should not belong in there. But Jude uses this one sentence about judgment that is a true thing. This is true, that there is going to be a time of judgment. Now, what Jude does in this book is he points to an ancient source, Enoch, or the book of Enoch. Then he points to a much more current source and a much stronger source, and that is the apostles who literally were taught by Jesus Christ. That's a pretty strong source. And both those sources agree about the same thing. They come together and they agree. And again, I'll, I'll pursue that momentarily. So Enoch did not live to see the judgment. He didn't even have to go through the flood. He didn't see that part. But this prof- prophecy attributed to him is pointing to a time of judgment. And then, for example, Peter talked about judgments to come. And he would have known even better than someone like Enoch about such a thing. So let's quickly talk about the ones that have crept in, and I'll show you what I mean about believing in only one time, okay? Let me fast forward here. All right, so who are these in the book of Jude? Well, verse 4, they've crept into the church. They're in the church perverting the grace of God into sensuality and denying that Jesus is our master, That was week one of the Jude series, all right? What else have they done? They do not rely on the truth. What truth? The truth of God's word. But rather, they they rely on their dreams, their ambitions, their feelings. They even reject all kinds of authorities. The kind of people who, they they are the authority. They're the final word. I I feel this way, that's the answer, all right? These are people who are full of empty promises. That's Jude 12 and 13. They come along and they shipwreck fellowship dinners, cause problems, right? Dissension, uh, cliques even, for example. They cause people to be directionless if they end up in uh, uh, leadership positions. A lot of good stuff or bad stuff in 12 and 13 there. Then if you look at verse 16, uh, the part that I read earlier, it says these, these same people, these ones who crept in the church, these are grumblers and they are malcontents following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. So grumblers and malcontents, basically synonyms for each other there. People who are murmuring and complaining and finding fault with those who are supposed to be their brothers and sisters in Christ. These are people who are really good at seeing that speck in your eye and ignoring the log in their own eye. People who like to steer the direction of the church by fussing. The, you know, the cliche about the squeaky wheel getting the grease, right? They crave the grease. They crave the grease. And what is the grease? It's the pastor's attention. It's the elder's attention to whatever is the particular issue that is important to these ones who are complaining and, and grumbling and being discontented. In a way, it's um, they're, they're these attributes that kind of they're kind of a package deal. Okay? It's a package of you know um, manifestations of behaviors that are troubling and, and and cause all kinds of problems within a church setting, within a church family. And it's um, it's like denying God's goodness when people in the church behave this way. How can I say it denies the goodness of God? Well. This person complaining 
is perhaps feeling like praying about it isn't enough, right? Having a, a good, decent conversation, asking good questions isn't enough, right? They've got to stir things up in another way, uh, taking another approach than a biblical approach to working out concerns they might have. If God wanted this person's ideas to go into effect, guess what? Wouldn't need to fuss and complain and murmur and carry on. Wouldn't need to do it. Those things would, go, those things would happen. They would, all right? Now, that's not to say that um, the, 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 the flock doesn't have an input. No, like, please give input. And in any church, that's vital. That's not the point here. But the point is grumbling to exert one's will that's clearly not the way to go, okay? Clearly not the way to go. And it might expose a person as not really being in the family if the grumbling, complaining continues when addressed, okay? And then it talks about loudmouth boasters. Uh, another way of thinking about that would be someone who uses great swelling words. Well, what are they doing? They're getting the attention for themselves. They're, they're, they're wanting the spotlight to be on themselves and not on Christ, not on the mission of the church, turning themselves into heroes. And for some reason, at times, uh, people like this end up with a following um, for one reason or another. So, so what happens in a church in which grumblers and complainers use murmuring to sabotage the direction of the church? What happens when people in a church create cliques to become power groups? What happens when boasting and pride-filled people gain advantages in a fellowship? Well, Jude 19, skipping down there for just a moment, says, they said to you in the last time there will be scoffers. I'm sorry, verse 18 says that, following their own ungodly passions, right? All these things we're talking about are ungodly passions, wanting their way, creeping into the church, following their senses, etc. Then it says in verse 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. And so... In a church in which people have crept in who have other desires outside of what Christ wants, outside of what the bride of Christ is attempting to do in ministry, you're going to have division, as it says here in verse 19. It also indicates here that there's an absence or a lacking of the Spirit. And I was trying to think about what, what that might feel like. And one of the things I thought about would be, this would be a place in which we might feel hesitant to be honest with each other about the kind of things we need to be honest with each other about, because we're not sure who we can trust. In a healthy church, I should be able to say, hey, um, I, I, I really sinned here, um, I did this um, with my words or my actions, and, and I, I as, my, as my friend, my fellow worshiper, as my brother or sister in Christ, like, can you pray for me? Can, can you, like, walk with me through this? Okay? But in a church where the spirit is absent and there's division, there's going to be a great reluctance to do that. And let me tell you, everybody in this room could probably say what I just said. Hey, I sinned this way even this morning, Right? Last week, I need help. I need you to pray for me. Would you, would you read the Bible with me? Would you, would you explain this to me? Could we talk together about how you have navigated this in your life, right? That's a healthy-sounding church. 
That's an effective sounding church. So a church that has these people who have crept in, who are ambitious for their own gain, who are filled with pride and boasting, I'm suspecting that a church like that is not going to be able to have people who are honest with each other about the struggles, the sins, the ups and downs of life that we all have. So division is going to be the result. Disunity is going to be the result of this creeping into the church. And so Jude tells us back in verse 3, if you'd look with me there, says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So he, he wanted to give a positive letter, right? A positive message. And honestly, I would probably like to do that too. <laughs> you know, that, that feels a little bit better. But that's not what this is. It's not what this is right now. And it's not what Jude ended up having to do as way back in the very first century, there were already people trying to, uh, either on purpose or accidentally, corrupt the body of Christ. And so, what, again, what time was he writing about? It was our time. Just 1,900 plus years ago was that time. All right, now turn with, turn with me to 2 Peter. It's like seven pages in your Bible, depending on how big your Bible is. 2 Peter chapter 3. <clears throat> While you're turning there, if you were to read the whole book of Jude, which will take you a couple minutes, and then you went and read the whole book of 2 Peter, you would see that Jude almost feels like a Cliff's Notes version of 2 Peter. 2 Peter just fills it out more, has more to say, more specific, more detailed. So looking at chapter 3 of 2 Peter, verses 3 through 11, says here, Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, now note this one, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. End quote. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. By the way, the last song had that in there. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So verse 4, to me, indicates that the ungodly, the unbelieving world, considers that there's only been one time, just one time. Somehow things came into being. They would not acknowledge that God did it. And then it just is. And it's been rolling along and will only ever roll along. But you and I know full well that isn't how it's going to be. There is going to be a time when things will stop and there will be a judgment. And let's see... 
switch up here. All right, so, so a time of judgment certainly is coming. Peter tells us that. And I don't know if you caught this, but in Peter's few verses there, he actually talks about just a couple segments of time. He talks about a time of judgment way back, which was the flood time. That's a powerful marker, isn't it? There was a flood, and then there was a time, right? There was a time before the flood, the flood, and then a time after the flood. Things before the flood are not the same as things after the flood. Life is not the same, right? Then he says, in a, same, in a similar way, but with a different means, as we fast forward through time, there's going to be a time before the judgment, then there's going to be a time of judgment that's going to be a time of fire, and then after, right? So he's kind of doing that idea that I was talking about in a different, a different manner. So how, how is this hopeful? Let's squeeze a little bit of hope out of this, right? Let's, let's do that uh, before we wrap up here. Well, one of the great things about it is we are told by Jude and also by Peter exactly how it's going to look in our time. And surprise, surprise, that's exactly how it looks in our time, right? They told us how it's going to be, and it is, right? It's just like that. There are going to be scoffers and mockers of God and mockers of his plan, his pattern, even mockers of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you've been following the news, which is hard not to, by the way, it's hard not to, you might have noticed that in recent weeks there have been Christian uh, symbolism like statues and church buildings, vandalized, marred, spray-painted, horrible things written on them. Even At least one church that I'm aware of had satanic imagery uh, plastered on it or painted on it or whatever, right? Things like this are going on in our time, right? The mocking, the scoffing, right? Uh, tr- you were... Um, in fact, there was a church, at least one church, set on fire, probably more than that. Think about the irony of that. Someone uh, is either so hateful toward things of God or toward Christianity that they would set things on fire, yet fire is the instrument that down the road is going to be the kind of judgment that will be coming to those who don't repent. And so if we have the book of Enoch, which is a lesser source uh, from long ago that says the judgment is coming. But then we have a greater source, even closer to Jude, saying there's going to be a time of judgment coming. Well, isn't that comforting? Isn't that reassuring? Isn't that filling us with hope? I would say yes, right? Jesus himself talked about a coming time of judgment. And so we can trust that this is true. Uh, even though it feels like the scoffers uh, are winning some battles right now, which, again, it can feel like that when you watch the news. Uh, they are not ultimately going to win. And then even inside the church, right? So, so that's outside, right? Like the enemies of God, the clear, the clear enemies of God. Uh, inside the church, we've seen some troubling things. Right over here. Right over here is your dad. And the drum set, too. That was time for me to take a drink. That's what that was about. <laughs> Thanks, Ellis. <clears throat> good timing. Good. It was very helpful. Hey, even inside the church, we've seen some big names who've renounced the faith, right? It was like probably about a year ago that that Joshua Harris said, I'm no longer a Christian, no longer following Christ, right? In the last month or so, uh, someone in a decent-sized Christian band said, I'm out. People on social media have done that. 
Uh, so we're seeing some of that going on, can be discouraging. And then honestly, e- even in our church family a couple of years ago, there were some trials and some folks departed who didn't want to associate with us anymore. Those things feel hard, because they are, right? Those are, those are difficult, those are troubling, no question about it. And actually, even now, we're going through a trial, aren't we? I think we are. Seems like every other day, Stuff comes to us, leaders, the board of directors, and we're like, well, how are we going to sort this next thing out, right? How are we going to sort through, like, mandates and decisions that come that we didn't ask for? We're not asking for these things, right? And we want to care for all the people, right? No matter how they might feel about attendance or protection or, you know, whatever it might be, it's a tricky thing, right? And, and one of the dangers could be that Christians in a church could let those things be a distraction and maybe even cause us to not like each other or even turn on each other. That would, that would not, I mean, that would be uh, so troubling and so damaging, right? We certainly don't want disputing like that. Even in, uh, in my own extended family, there have been times of like some intense conversations about how is the right way to proceed. And that's among believers. So it's, it's tough, right? It's a tough time. So what are we going to do? Uh, we are going to remember what the apostles told us was going to happen. So Jude 18 says, They said to you, the apostles, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. That's so helpful, right? It's, it's going to be tough. There are going to be challenges. People in the church are going to be a problem for us at times. So obviously people outside the church are going to be a problem for us as well, right? You're going to have both. And so, let's take heart. If it's been predicted, it can't be chaos. Does that make sense? If it's been predicted, it is, none of this is actually chaos in the Lord's eyes. He saw it coming. He told us through his apostles that it would be coming our way. So it actually isn't chaos, even though we might feel that anxiety and that frustration that I have felt, I'll be honest, but it is not chaos in his eyes. He is the king of kings. He is the light of the world. He has this, 2020, 2021, whatever is to come, he has this. And he lovingly alerted us to these truths so that when the enemies of Jesus would creep into the church to cause problems, we wouldn't have to feel powerless. We wouldn't have to feel alone. We'd have tools. And one of those tools is remembering. Remember. Now, the rest of the book of Jude that Drew is going to wrap up for us has even more hopeful stuff in there. So you've got to come back. Now, you could read ahead. You could do that. But then you might be considered a teacher's pet and kind of a nerd, you know, if you do that. But it's okay if you do. It's okay. Um, sorry. Anyway, uh, what else can we do? Okay, what else can we do? Since we know that there will be a time of judgment and that should affect how we live our lives, how should we live? Well, let's live at peace amidst the attempts of scoffers to discourage us. I was thinking about that, that idea in the last couple of days after um, I had this, this message ready way back on Monday and Tuesday, and then three hours ago I got really nervous and wanted to change everything. And I, so I was thinking a lot about it, and I was like, remember, the scoffers who mock God, theirs is the irrational point of view. Ours is the rational one. Ours is the one that makes sense. 
Theirs is not the rational one. So you don't have to feel all like defensive and nervous, like, oh, that, you know, they have all these questions and they're attacking me. Well, no, they should be defending themselves, not us. We have the truth, right? And so we can live at peace amidst all this. We can defend the faith by presenting evidence if you feel the need to do so. You can do that. You could talk about the times. Well, there was a time of creation. There was the fall. There was the promise of Messiah way back in Genesis 3. There was a flood. And then there was a, and then there was a family through whom the Messiah would come. And then he came. And he died on the cross for you, you scoffer. He died for you, right? You could do that. You could take someone through the storyline of Scripture. And you could do it even better if you believe it, unlike those who creep into the church who don't believe that. What else can we do? We can gather together to encourage each other, which we're doing here and online. Folks are doing that as well. Thank you. Um, we we um, leaders are going to soon um, be discussing ways to encourage you to meet in like smaller segments outside of the church, uh, on you know beyond Sunday morning. Maybe 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 call somebody. Say hey, can we read this book of the Bible together? You know, we'll talk like twice a week or something and we'll just read together. Like things like that we want to encourage you to do to try to keep the cohesion, keep the strength of, of groups uh, as far as like getting your hearts bound together, not only uh, during the Sunday morning, especially until we can figure out what's the best way to manage all the, the things that are mandated and so forth for the government. What else can we do? We can gauge whether we are grumbling or we are building up the body of Christ. Which are we doing? Are we criticizing or are we lifting up? We can care more about the relationships we have with each other than about being right in an argument. And I have failed there in recent days, I have to say. I've definitely failed there. We can be the kind of local church that joyfully gathers, our mission statement, joyfully gathers and cares about each other and then just as joyfully goes out there to bring the good news of Jesus to family members and friends and neighbors and coworkers, people online. Again, I'll admit sin in front of you here. I have spent far more time talking about masks and guidelines and policies than about Jesus in the recent months. I admit, I admit to that. And he spent way more time confessing about Jesus, right? Talking about Jesus in those conversations. So it is good news that there's a time of judgment. It's good news because right will be uh, shown and displayed the rightness of Jesus Christ and those who believe in him, the full glory of that, and the judgment of the ungodly is going to happen. And we don't have to manage all that because Jesus has that. It's such joyful and good and hopeful news that there is a time of judgment. So there will be a time of judgment, and that should affect how I live and how all of us live our lives. Let's pray.